You want more calm, and I have the recipe for you to have less overwhelm in your life. Each week, I will bring you stories, tips, and often interviews on how to get more calm in your life. Each week, there will be a quick and easy recipe as well. So join me, Teresa Diulis, an advanced certified life coach and certified culinary nutrition expert to find your recipe for calm. Today we have a super special guest, uh, Dr. Sarah Valentine, and I first started following her back in 2013 and knew her as the paleo mom. And so again, through my own health issues, and that's how I found her listen to her podcast back then on a weekly basis. And anybody that knows her knows she's an award-winning speaker and a New York Times bestseller um, book author. And I know she's known internationally as well. And what I love about Dr. Sarah is how she has such a passion for science and everything being evidence-based, but putting it, making it available for everybody very approachably, easy to understand, and she's fun. Um, if you're not following her already on social media, please change that and make sure you do because she gives everything in bite-sized pieces, no pun intended, um, but just makes it super easy to learn and um, fun facts on how we can make our lifestyle and diet better by being, make it easier. So, um, and I'm thrilled that she was willing to come on the podcast today and talk to us uh, about what we can do to reduce our stress and create more calm and how we can do that from the approach of her Nutrivore <clears throat> framework. I wanted to just speak a little bit about how I got to personally meet her back in April of 2015. We were just discussing um, at PaleoFX. What I wanted to speak specifically to, our daughter, our one daughter had been very sick and um, had become embraced by the Paleo community at the time. Um, and she was up for an award I think she may have won one of them by Paleo Magazine, but Dr. Sarah, of course, won multiple ones. And we got to meet her and she was so gracious to Macy and myself as well. And I don't know if you remember this, Dr. Sarah, but you were even, you had just won all these awards and you met us and took pictures with Macy, but you even looked to me and you said, you know, I'm going to commend you because as a mom, the support you have to provide to your daughter, you know, going through this. And I just remember being so touched by that because it was like, you acknowledged me and saw me and, um, it is hard when you have a daughter going through a chronic illness. And I just know you had just been so acknowledged in the community and obviously all the contributions you made, but um, it just really meant a lot to me that you saw me and acknowledged that. And I've seen you over the years, how you are so generous with your team, how you are so kind. And again, you are brilliant. And I love the fact that the one of the things that you at the core of being a scientific researcher is such an important thing to you to provide that background into everything that you do and not have it be just off the top of your head or anything that, I mean, you talk about being a nerd or whatever, and people have an image of that, but um, you just bring the fun to it and make it so easy. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to add that, but I will let you introduce yourself um, for, for the listeners. So. Um. Yeah, I'm like trying not to cry over here. <laughs> uh, I do actually very strongly remember meeting you and Macy and um, standing and talking for for quite a long time. And I don't remember all the details of, of what we talked about, but um, you both made a lasting impression on me too. So I think we were probably kindred spirits <laughs> meeting <laughs> all three of us. Um, so thank you very much for that introduction. 
Um, I think, yeah, I feel like that was a very thorough introduction, but if I were to add anything, it would be that I'm a person who uses both my own health struggles and the things that I've learned managing my own chronic conditions with diet and lifestyle and functional medicine, as well as my background as a medical researcher. And uh, as you said, uh, an inherent nerdiness. I, I feel like I'm a scientist both, both innately and by training. And I, I care very passionately about giving people the tools that they need to improve their health. I mean, that doesn't mean that we necessarily fire all of our doctors. I mean, sometimes, sure. But it's it's such a powerful thing that we can take control of and feel empowered yeah. through health crises that can feel very disempowering. We can really feel like we don't have any control. And when mm. our bodies are the thing we don't have control over, that's a, a really big struggle. It's really hard to feel like your, your body is not doing what you want it to do. And nutrition that I would never say that it's a cure, but it can be incredibly supportive and it can make all the difference. It can be that thing that means that now you're responding to the medications that your doctor has prescribed. It can be the thing that takes away a couple of symptoms that mean your quality of life improves dramatically. But I also care very passionately about making sure that everything I do is rooted in uh, not just the current scientific evidence, but scientific consensus. So when you look at the body of scientific literature, let's say you have 10 papers on a topic and nine of those papers show this thing is, you know, good, right? Broccoli reduces cancer risk, right? They all kind of agree. Maybe they have slightly different magnitudes of benefits, right? They looked at different populations. They looked at it in different ways. And then there's one paper that says broccoli increases cancer. Uh, this is a, an analogy I'm completely making up. I am not right. aware of any <laughs> studies yeah. that show that broccoli increases cancer. I think there's a tendency right now in the wellness community to put extra stock in that one paper that disagrees, right? To somehow see that as the truth and the nine papers that all show roughly the same thing as somehow some conspiracy, something, something. And that's not how science works, right? There is some methodological difference, a uh, difference in population. There's something interesting going on that that one paper shows a different result. But when you look at scientific consensus, what you're doing is you're averaging the results from all of those papers. You are seeing that, yep, one paper contradicts the other nine. There's something interesting there. We need to do more studies to figure out why, or we need to identify a methodological flaw in that study to understand it. Um, but there's something there's something we need to understand there. But right. what we can say is the the average effect is this benefit. Ninety percent of of the data shows a benefit, and that is what I put stock into as a scientist. Is where the majority of evidence points, um, and especially large studies, um, large perspective, uh, randomized control studies, large studies where they um, are, they're called meta-analyses. They actually pool together the data from many different studies to be able to home in on the exact magnitude of an effect. These are the types of studies that I draw on to create all of the resources that I create. And so I don't engage in uh, fear-mongering about foods. I'm, I'm not out there talking about how this food or this other food is going to cause all these bad things to you because the science is not there to support it. And so I spend 
more time than I would like myth busting. Um, most of the time, I just try to put out actionable information that is, again, sort of based in scientific consensus. Yes. Any book I've ever seen you publish or ebook, there's a huge resource at the back of the studies that it's referred to. And people won't find, like I know a lot of articles even that are published online anymore. And this is my opinion, not, not putting words in your mouth. There might be a link or two, or, mm -hmm. you know, it might be to Wikipedia even. And so that's just not solid science in my opinion. Um, again, coming from more of an academic background and I know you are as well. And so that's what, again, I really appreciate about you that you are putting that in there that it is um, when people, Get information from you they are getting solid information and again people can take it or leave it but I think it's um in my opinion it's solid research and um and you can make up your own mind but again unfortunately I think in this media environment the the headlines that are grabbed unfortunately most of the time that people like you said the fear-mongering is unfortunate I think if they listen to you and follow you they are getting solid information and I also think from a scientific approach a lot of times maybe we don't know, like you said, it's like, okay, here, yeah. you may not give someone a yes or no answer. It's the, here's, here's, the, here's what's being found, make up your mind, like how you want to look at it. But, um, I do want to get into the nature of war, which I love the tagline, even nourishment, not judgment, but for anybody listening, who's not familiar with the concept, um, would you share with us, you know, just even how nature work can fit into ways to reduce stress and explain how that works? Yeah, I would love to. So Nutrivore is this incredibly basic logical concept. So the whole idea behind Nutrivore is just this, get all of the nutrients that your bodies need from the foods you eat. That's it. That's, that's the beginning and end of, of Nutrivore as a philosophy. Um, from there, Nutrivore is about building an education around food so that we understand what nutrients do in the body, what foods contain those nutrients, how to combine foods so that we get all of the nutrients that we need. But it's not a diet itself. Like one of the things that I really learned in starting to build Nutrivore in developing the Nutrivore score, which is a, a nutrient profiling method that I developed to quantify nutrient density, is you start to see that just all foods lie on a spectrum. It's it, there's no line that you can draw that you can say above this line, these foods are good. And below this line, these foods are bad. And Nutrivore is about the whole diet. So if the sum total of all the nutrients you ate from all the foods you ate all day, uh, add up to meet your nutritional needs, does it matter if one of those foods didn't contribute a lot of nutrients? Does it matter if one of those foods was a donut? No, because you're still meeting your nutritional needs. And we take a very comprehensive view of nutrients. We're looking at macronutrients, as well as the full collection of both essential and non-essential, but still very important micronutrients. So we take this really comprehensive view of nutrition and meeting nutritional needs, which means that this is a philosophy that you can apply to any diet. So I consider it a diet modifier rather than a diet itself. There's no yes foods or no foods. There's no one food that's going to make or break your diet or make or break your health. There's no one food you have to eat. There's no one food you have to avoid. And digging into the science to start building out these resources has really convinced me of the importance of getting away from restrictive dietary patterns. There's a really large body of scientific evidence showing that diets that are defined by white and black, right? Yes and no food lists or points and no points or green light, red light, right? There's a million different versions of this. Right. <laughs> um, they actually increase the likelihood of developing disordered eating patterns. If people are trying to lose weight, it increases the chances of weight regain and yo-yo dieting, which is 
more harmful for right. health than remaining overweight. And it, I'm seeing this personally in the wellness community, this um, search for uh, answers through additional restrictions that are basically digging people into even deeper nutrient deficiency holes, which right. is contributing to their health problems as opposed to alleviating them. And I, I think that's where Nutrivore is like here to the rescue is you can apply this to a diet that you resonate with. If you found success, success with a particular dietary template and you want to just maximize your nutrient intake within that framework, awesome. Go ahead and do it. If you want to do anti-diet intuitive eating, this gives you a framework for understanding the most nourishing foods, which is compatible with the 10th principle of intuitive eating of gentle nutrition. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to just not follow a diet at all and just use this to make sure you're meeting your nutritional needs, you can do that too. It's basically mm -hmm. a set of education to help us understand the best foods without having to feel guilty because we ate something that's not the best. Right. It sounds like it takes the stress out of it by basically eliminating, like you said, no judgment. I mean, it's, there's no good, there's no bad. It's just, you know, again, for example, like if, you know, a strawberry has a high Nutribor score because mm -hmm. I mean, we can hear all the good things in the cardiologist saying eat a strawberry because it's full of antioxidants or whatever. And then it puts in the mind, oh, it's a good food. Well, if we're trying to break down that good or bad, it's, well, it is nutrient dense is from what you're saying yeah. in the Nutribor world. It's, it doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just, it is full of nutrients. It's good for you. If you like it, eat it. If you don't, don't. But if it also, like, instead of trying to fit it in, oh, it's vegan, it's vegetarian, it's paleo, it's whatever. It's, it doesn't have to be. It can just yeah. be, it's nutrient dense. So, um, and ideally tasty. I, yes. I feel like Nutrivor <laughs> also gives us permission to enjoy the enjoy. foods we're eating, which I think is lost in a lot of dietary templates. I think there's this like, a diet culture mentality that if you like the food, it's bad. It's, yes. it doesn't, those vegetables don't count unless you didn't like them and you were sort of choking them down. And I think what's so powerful is Nutrifor gives us permission to take those Brussels sprouts that are really bitter and prepare them with some maple syrup or some fruit or some bacon or some nuts or some butter or all of the above yes. and make them into something that we really like so that we can get all the nutrients from those foods. Because studies studies show that eating more vegetables is really, really important for our overall health. And it doesn't matter how they're prepared, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if we made them mm -hmm. in a way that we like them. What studies show is if you like them, you actually eat more on average. So you're going to get more benefit by giving yourself permission to prepare those foods in a way that is enjoyable. Yes. As I know when I was doing um, my internship for my master's program at the Houston Food Bank, one of the things that was a concern was whether eating vegetables frozen or canned or fresh and all of that. And I think even based on what I read from um, looking through your NutriVore information, even is kind of going to your point of the preparation even is just eating vegetables. I mean, and because mm -hmm. not everybody has the access, you know, there are certain people yeah. who will only be able to have access to canned vegetables, for example, but getting, I mean, and you could speak to that. Is there a huge difference between fresh frozen and um, canned? Yeah. One of the biggest surprises for me of calculating the Nutrivor scores, we have a database of about 8,000 foods. One of the biggest surprises that I was not expecting 
was how good the nutrient retention is in canned foods. I think I was expecting it for frozen foods. So frozen mm -hmm. foods are sometimes more nutrient dense than fresh because you basically stop the nutrients from degrading through storage. So if that broccoli on average will spend something like 10 days between when it's harvested and when it you know gets to the warehouse and then it gets to the grocery store and then you buy it and then it sits in your fridge for a couple of days and then you eat it, that average time's about 10 days. And there's a significant loss of some of the antioxidants and some vitamin C in that broccoli. The, it's still an incredibly <laughs> healthy food. It's still fantastic. It's just not as good as if you grew it yourself and ate it immediately after harvesting it. But when you freeze vegetables, they're typically frozen within uh, 24 hours of harvesting. You basically stop that nutrient degradation. So we see typically a few percent higher nutrient scores in frozen fruits and vegetables compared to fresh. It, they're not, they're, it, there's a range. They're not yeah. all more nutrient dense frozen, but that's pretty typical. What I wasn't expecting to see in the math and why math is so fantastic yes. is that the same can be said of canned foods. There's incredibly good nutrient retention and many canned fruits and vegetables are more nutrient dense than the fresh option with the exception of anytime you're going to add a lot of sugar. So like fruits canned in syrup, you're, you're still getting the nutrients, but you're adding a lot of sugar. So your nutrients per calorie are going to be lower. Right. Um, that doesn't again, mean they can't fit into a nutrient dense diet. It just right. means that that's sort of like, if we're just comparing nutrients per calorie versus nutrients per calorie, right. we're adding a lot of calories <laughs> and not nutrients when we add syrup to a, to a can, but I was not expecting there's even some canned vegetables that are much more nutrient dense than fresh. So tomatoes, for example, canned tomatoes are about 30% more nutrient dense than fresh because the canning process uses high heat uh, as well as pressure. And that actually drives the formation of lycopene in the tomatoes, wow. which is a really yeah. important antioxidant carotenoid that in a raw fresh tomato, it it's present in kind of like a, a polymer. So it's like a long chain of these lycopene molecules. It's not absorbable by us. When you apply high heat and pressure in the canning process, you actually start breaking those molecules apart and then we can actually absorb the lycopene. So all in all, you end up with this really big increase in nutrient density of tomatoes. So there's even some canned foods that are, that are more nutrient dense than fresh. I think uh, canned foods, if that's what you can afford, if that's what's convenient, if that's what you have access to, I think the um, diving into the literature on BPA, for example, uh, the where the science is at now is that the levels of exposure from canned foods are not anything for anyone to be concerned about. And I think that it makes healthy eating just so much more accessible because if the only store you have access to is a gas station, you're yeah. going to be able to get some canned foods there <laughs> and be able to increase your vegetable consumption. I think it's so important to bust these myths about food quality in order to make healthy eating more accessible. Yeah, and I think this goes back to the fear mongering. There's, you know, when people get so overwhelmed and this kind of leads into my next question of, for the listeners who are feeling overwhelmed with all the noise that's out there with knowing what's the best way to eat even, and, you know, you hear a thousand different things, but with even, you know, people with multiple um, dietary concerns, maybe within a family, like if someone needs to be gluten-free or dairy-free or anything, you know, I call it mixed, um, mixed methods, basically, you know, how do you think Nutrivore could help create more calm in their lives? Um, it's that you've already been addressing this somewhat, but, you know, just to touch on that a little bit more. Yeah. So I, 
I would, if I were to break Nutrivore into like three different action steps, the first would be mostly whole foods, right? Some ultra processed foods here and there are not going to have a big impact on health. So, you know, incorporate those into your diet as makes sense. Maybe they're budget stretching foods. Maybe there's quality of life foods, right? Maybe they're just the thing that makes getting dinner on the table after soccer practice actually happen. And that's okay. Like give yourself permission to not be perfect, but mostly whole foods. So mostly foods that are, um, recognizable compared to how they would be found in nature. Uh, that can be frozen. That can be canned, right? Those would be called minimally processed, but that they're still under the umbrella of a whole food. The second would be to eat as many different foods as possible. So dietary diversity is independently beneficial for us. So studies have shown that, for example, people who eat 80 or more different foods in a year, it's in a whole year, it's actually pretty accessible compared to people who eat 40 or less different foods in a whole year, um, have about a 38%, a 36%, somewhere in that vicinity, a little bit over one third percent reduced risk of all-cause mortality, which is an absolutely huge effect. There's no one food or food group that could come close to giving us that kind of health benefit compared to just eating a wide variety of foods. So that would be the second action step. And then the third one would be to be uh, plant forward. So vegetable forward. This doesn't mean uh, that meat or seafood is bad. They absolutely are not. Seafood especially is so fantastic for our overall health, but that most plates should be at least half vegetable, if not three quarters vegetable, Uh, vegetable, fruit, legumes, nuts, seeds. Um, so like whole plant foods basically should, should make up about three quarters of, of most of our plates. There's a absolute wealth, like tens of thousands of studies showing benefits to pretty much every health condition that we could possibly encounter from that sort of plant forward approach, not quite as far into the, uh, plant foods as plant based diets. So a little bit more constrained, definitely still omnivore, Um, But those would be my three action steps. And I think um, with permission to to not be perfect. And I think just kind of getting used to constructing meals within those three guidelines, most of the time that's going to get you most of the way to Nutribor. We can tinker and get more serving guidelines of different individual foods from there, um, especially if we're talking about anxiety and depression. There's certain nutrients that we can focus on that can be really important, especially vitamin C. Um, so there's, there's always like iterative things that we can do to, uh, cater our diets to our own individual health needs, but those three guidelines are going to get you most of the way there without having to overthink much. Yeah. I know you offer, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong. I know you definitely have a salad ebook, but I think you have Mm -hmm. a free salad challenge that people could sign up for. That would be an easy action step for people to get acquainted with the Nutrivore, um, system framework. I don't want to use the wrong word, but, um, but it's just as an easy actionable step. And I love how easy it is to do that. And it'd be a great way to have kids involved too, because it's, you make it really simple to be able to just pick and choose kind of like a, I mean, I, I call it a framework. So use the right word that you want to use, but, um, so you have the, the free challenge, but then you also have the ebook to go more in depth to talk about. And again, so listeners, please take advantage of this. And I, I can't strongly recommend enough that her Instagram, because she touched on a little bit, the vitamin C, and I could have you talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, vitamin C, I know you had a post or a story 
real, I don't know what the right words are these days, um, about vitamin C in the studies um, on how it reduced stress. And yeah. you know, those are just some of the things I want you to know how Dr. Sarah has this information out there that um, that you can be learning in one minute or less, basically. Um, and again, on studies that are out there to show how what you are eating and consuming can help be benefiting you. And um, I know another one that would be fun for you to just touch on in those we didn't talk about this, but um, that coffee is actually something that can help make you happy. So yes. I don't know if you want to talk about that really quick. <laughs> um, yeah, well, let's let's talk about both vitamin C and, okay. and coffee. They're completely different mechanisms, <laughs> interestingly. Um, actually, there's also studies showing that eating more vegetables in general makes you happier. Yeah. Um, there was a study out of Australia a couple of years ago that showed that eating eight servings of fruits and vegetables per day um, delivered the same level of life satisfaction as going from unemployed to employed, which wow. is a kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, and yet has anyone heard of this study? <laughs> no, <Yeah>. which is, <laughs> that didn't make which the is headline. great. <laughs> it's great for me because it means I can make endless videos and, and fun Instagram yeah. posts about these things. Um, but I think that from a mental health perspective, I think vitamin C is the like single most important nutritional manipulation point. So vitamin C in the body, we sort of know it as an antioxidant, but the other job that it does is it's a cofactor for a lot of enzymes. So that means it's needed for the enzyme to do its job, but it's not actually used up in the chemical reaction. And it just so happens that vitamin C is necessary through its activity as a cofactor for the production of a few really important neurotransmitters, including serotonin and dopamine, mm -hmm. as well as the master stress hormone cortisol and the catecholamines, adrenaline and noradrenaline, which are released from the adrenal glands when we have a stress response. But not only that, vitamin C actually modulates the sensitivity of receptors in our cells to stress hormones. So when we have enough vitamin C, our bodies actually respond in a proportional way to the stress that we're feeling, right? That is what we want. We want to, if we're feeling stressed, we want our body to respond appropriately. What we don't want is to have this like chronic stress where our bodies actually sort of ramp up the physiological response to this like really unhealthy way that's going to impact gut health and immune health and hormone health and insulin sensitivity and all of those things. So vitamin C gets used up extra fast when we have a, a stress response. So we got stuck in traffic and we're late for a really important meeting and we're very angry. Our bodies are using up more vitamin C in forming all of these and all of these different aspects of, of the stress response. Um, it is as now in this case, not just as a cofactor, but as an antioxidant and studies show that having enough vitamin C in our systems actually helps to calm the entire stress response. So we're more likely to be able to sit in that traffic and go, okay, this is not something I have control over. What's the action step I need to do? Do I need to call somebody and let them know that I'm running late, right? Like there's a way to sit in traffic and be, have a balanced stress response to it. And there's a way to sit in traffic and just get road rage and be really, really angry and have extra anxiety. Vitamin C can help shift our stress response to that more balanced, you know, thoughtful, intentional response. And so there are studies, for example, where they've taken people and had them do public speaking or had them do mental arithmetic, or they've studied 
uh, college students about to go into exam week and they give them vitamin C supplements um, for usually like two weeks. Usually these are not super high doses. The kind of the studies range anywhere between 500 milligrams and three grams a day, sort of the range that studies use and show that the compared to a placebo, the people who are getting vitamin C have much lower physiological measurements of stress as well as subjective stress. So they feel less stressed suddenly put on that stage and, and told to speak to a room full of strangers, which is something lots of people don't enjoy. Um, so vitamin C, because of its actual importance in creating a lot of the chemicals that are related to the stress response and serotonin, which of course is related to anxiety and depression, um, becomes a really important nutrient. What is fascinating to me is citrus fruits are, are really our, our best source of vitamin C because they contain, they're not the highest food source of vitamin C, but they have really bioavailable vitamin C because the polyphenol flavonoids that they have enhance the absorption of vitamin C from like oranges, lemons, grapefruit. Mm -hmm. And studies also show that um, there was a, a nurse's health study study that was published a couple of years ago and showed that the um, females who consumed two or more servings of citrus per day had something like an 18% reduced risk of depression compared wow. to the females who consumed two or less servings per week. So that's almost certainly modulated through vitamin C. Um, so vitamin C as, as such an important nutrient for mental health. Um, and we see that even in, in diet studies where diets that have more vitamin C, right? More citrus fruit have the expected outcome that you would expect from somebody who's eating more vitamin C. Coffee is fascinating. <laughs> Coffee um, is a, a psychoactive <laughs> drug. <laughs> Most of us don't recognize it because we're so adapted to it because we drink it every single day. Uh, but I challenge you, I, I gave up coffee for 15 months, oh gosh, back in 2012. And, um, and then I, I missed it. I wanted to add it back in. And I had, uh, I had it made myself a cup on a Sunday just to see how, how I would do with I this, react. with this coffee. <laughs> and I got about a quarter cup down and I felt high and I, <laughs> it was like, it was like a giddy. It wasn't like I was safe to drive. It wasn't like yeah. that level of, but it was so obvious to me I was like, oh, this is what, this is the psychoactive properties of yeah. coffee. I didn't know this before. And then when I started adding coffee back in every single day, uh, that quite pleasant feeling, unfortunately went away. Mm -hmm. um, and fun. that's, yes, sadly, <laughs> it's because we become adapted to the effects of caffeine and the polyphenols in coffee. However, what's really fascinating is there still is a boost in mood as well as cognition, right? So we actually are more yeah. mentally alert. We have better working memory with that little bit of caffeine. And that's true even in people who are caffeine adapted. So even in people who consume caffeine every single day, when they have a cup of coffee, um, and this does seem to be mediated through the caffeine. So it doesn't, doesn't work with decaf, unfortunately, or at least not as much because there's right. still a little bit of caffeine in decaf. Um, they will have an immediate boost and mood, even if it's only been an hour since their last caffeinated beverage. Um, so yes, yeah, so you really do feel happier when you have coffee. Um, that doesn't mean, uh, permission to have coffee 
at 10 p.m. Unfortunately, because yeah. <laughs> it, it does it does impact sleep still. Like like, yeah. uh, there, there are still some downsides to coffee, especially late in the day. Um, but uh, it's not just you. You're not making it up. You really do feel happier yes. when you get your cup of coffee in the morning. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to ask really quick about the vitamin C for anybody mm. who thinks, oh, I'm just going to take supplements because I do want you to speak directly to the difference between getting our nutrients from food versus getting them in supplementation, if you would. I know it's a loaded question. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, it's, it's a complicated question. I don't yes. know if it's a loaded question. <laughs> say, yeah. um, so let's take a step backwards uh, and kind of talk about multivitamins in general. Okay. So um, multivitamins as a sort of form of nutritional insurance have not delivered the health benefits that you would expect from increased nutrient intake in large studies, huge meta-analyses. So studies have looked at uh, risk of cancer, risk of cardiovascular disease. They've looked at all-cause mortality. They've looked at different specific cancer types. They've looked at different types of cardiovascular disease and shown that people who regularly consume a multivitamin do not have a benefit to any of those outcomes. And, um, there's a couple of potential explanations for this. So one is it might be that the forms of those nutrients and the, the makeup of a tablet are not very easily digested. They're not super bioavailable. We might not be getting all of the nutrients that we think we are when we take a multivitamin. Um, for some people, it could actually worsen the quality of their diet because they feel like they're getting everything they need from that multivitamin. So they may be making not as yeah. awesome <laughs> diet yeah. choices as a result. So that could be potentially offsetting any particular effect. But also when we get nutrients from food, we are getting them within the food matrix that tends to make them more bioavailable. That tends to mean they're packaged with other nutrients that are needed for them to do their job. Um, and it it's also potential here that it's a dose effect. So it might be that multivitamins just aren't enough to make up the nutrient shortfalls um, that people see. Regardless, there was a really important 2019 study that compared nutrient intake from foods versus nutrient intake from multivitamins and showed that when we get the same amount of nutrients, but from foods, we benefit all of those different health outcomes mm -hmm. that doesn't happen from supplements. M moreover, uh, excess calcium that was over, uh, I think it was over 1200 milligrams or 1400 milligrams a day. So more calcium than is the RDA excess calcium from supplements, but not from foods increased, I think cancer mortality risk slightly. So we have these studies showing that multivitamins just are not, are not worth it. They're not providing the benefit that you would expect if you were to just look at all of these studies showing the link between not getting enough of these different nutrients and disease and, and yeah. bad health outcomes. That being said, that doesn't mean there's not a time and a place for supplements, right? So 75% of Americans have low vitamin D levels. There's kind of no amount of sunlight and uh, vitamin D rich foods, right? Like mushrooms and seafood that are going to be able to bring vitamin D levels back up into the optimal range for most People. Some people will, will be able to do it with big lifestyle and diet changes. Most people can't. Um, I'm somebody who has to take vitamin D every single day in order to keep my levels in the, the right range. And that doesn't mean that my diet's 
failing right. me, right? <laughs> so with vitamin C, right, we it's absolutely super easy to meet the RDA with a couple of servings of fresh fruits and vegetables per day. It's it's very it's the RDA is 75 milligrams for females and 90 milligrams for males. It's it's pretty straightforward. You need like one orange and you're there or one bell pepper and you're there. Um, so getting the the recommended daily allowance is pretty straightforward, but if you are chronically stressed or inflamed, or if you're a, a smoker, your needs for vitamin C increase. And it's not well-defined other than for smokers who need an additional 35 milligrams per day. So we don't know how much more vitamin C you need if you're uh, stressed, which let's be real, uh, we all are, right? <laughs> so we don't actually know how much more vitamin C we need or does this change by season or does this change by, um, you know, time of day or right. Uh, for, uh, people who menstruate, does it change by cycle? We don't know that information. So I think a food, uh, focused approach is always best, right? We talked about how the vitamin C in citrus fruits is more easily absorbed and used by your body than the vitamin C in other foods. But I can also acknowledge that there are going to be situations where someone is just not able to meet a higher need for vitamin C to regulate the stress response from foods, in which case that a supplement is a great tool. So it's not a great nutritional insurance, but that doesn't mean there's no uh, situation where a supplement would be useful. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I just know, and, I, and again, for anybody listening, this is take medical advice from your doctors, not from us or from your RDs or you know, nutritionists. Um, Cause there are times, like you said, and I know both of us have had health concerns and, and I know anybody, you know, hearing citrus, if for some reason you weren't able to have that, I know you've mentioned mm -hmm. yellow bell peppers as being one of yes. the big sources of vitamin C. And she does have again, available on her nutrivore.com lists of the foods, you know, in their nutrivore scores, as far as nutrient density. And I want to say you can speak to this, um, I think it's an ebook of the top 25 foods for mm -hmm. each nutrient. Um, so it would, there would be one for vitamin C. So if yeah. you were, for example, um, not wanting foods that are higher in carbohydrates, for example, to be able to pick on that list of like what the best sources of vitamin C were that maybe were lower in carbohydrates, if someone was concerned about that. Um, I know, um, I, I know I looked up the vitamin C, your top five, because I think you have this on Instagram, but I know, um, fresh currants and Japanese persimmons and golden mm -hmm. kiwis and guava. I had written them down. Um, I had to cheat because I didn't remember them. Off the top of my That's okay. I wouldn't have remembered those either. I remembered <laughs> guava as, as the top. Cause I think I did a video on it not that long ago. Um, and having those would go towards your 80 variety of foods, like in mm -hmm. the year that you're talking about. And I was thinking about that, how doable, even if you had a rotating same foods menu, um, of four weeks rotating, you could probably get that in easily to help towards your longevity. So um, but hopefully that's given people a good idea of even just if you are, in, if you do enjoy coffee, it gives you a reason to continue to, to enjoy it. And in, even intake of vitamin C, um, you know, have an orange every day or a halo or, yeah. you know, something like that. The little cuties have a couple of them, um, which would be I had great. one with my breakfast this morning. Yes. Yep. Um, those are easy, you know, again, in season, you know, see what, what's available, but, um, I would just wonder if you would like to share with our listeners, what you find to be most effective for you just for self-care when you're feeling overwhelmed, what you, what your go-to is. So my go-to has nothing to do with food. I know we've, we've talked about <laughs> nutrition this whole time. I think my diet is um, pretty optimized. And so there's not really typically room for me to, to improve uh, mm -hmm. if I am in a 
stressful situation. Um, so my go-to if, uh, if I'm able to, is to get into the woods by myself with my dog. Um, it's actually how I start almost every day. So I start almost every day with a four mile hike with my dog, um, at least six days a week in the woods. And it is my most cherished time of day. It's my most creative time of day. I often (laughs) dictate notes on my phone as ideas come to me. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's a really, um, it's a really important time. And I think it actually helps to regulate my stress response for the whole rest of my day. Um, so if I'm going through extra stress, I'll actually carve out extra time. So I'll actually go for an extra long hike or some, if I'm really stressed, I'm just not feeling great. I'll go for a hike where I stop and sit and look at the lake or, you know, find some really cool flowers. So I'll, I'll do something that's a little bit more mindful and a little bit slower paced if that's what I need. And if I can manage it, I will also go to bed earlier. So I'll go to bed earlier and then have that long hike in the morning. That's typically the most like centering activity that I can possibly do. But in the middle of a 16 year old daughter being a 16 year old, uh, an experience that I'm having a lot these days, um, sometimes that's not practical, right? That is something that I can do tomorrow, which is great in that moment. Um, so we have family meditation time every evening. Um, we do a lot of, um, meditation breathwork practices together. And thanks to that, I have a lot of breathing techniques that I can also rely on. So in, in the heat of the moment, when I am, uh, trying to respond to my child instead of react to my child in that moment, the best thing I can do is stop, not say anything, close my eyes, take five to 10 deep breaths. And then I think because I'm so practiced as a meditator um, that I can get into a very calm state very quickly um, because of that. And that will give me some time to hopefully say words that I'm not going to regret later. Um, But then the hike is like, then my, the next day will then be my opportunity to sort of process all of that. So um, it's, I have a lot of, because, um, Stress and I have a love-hate relationship. Um, stress has always been my my Achilles heel. And so I've, uh, especially over the last few years, developed a fairly extensive routine that is all about stress management for me, yes. including hikes and nature time unplugged, unless I'm dictating notes to my phone, but I'm not listening to a podcast or the news or whatever while I'm in the woods. And um, yeah, and then mindfulness practice has been also really important. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know even listening to you talk about when you're outside, you know, taking that time, it's movement. I didn't hear you talking about pushing yourself to do the cardio, to do, you know, all that stuff, but even that downloading process, you know, if you're saying notes, I mean, getting those thoughts out. And I know sometimes, you know, people talk about having inspiration when they're in the shower or wherever, Mm -hmm. but I think that combination allows that, you know, for that download. But, um, but even like the simple act of pausing when you're in any, um, interactions with other people that you can always do that mentally, you know? Um, so, but thank you for sharing that. Well, um, my last question to you is what I ask all of my guests of what your favorite go-to recipe is um, these days. Um, I, f- I feel like the word favorite and the word go-to <laughs> mean different things to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so my favorite recipe right now is oyster sauce, beef and broccoli. Wow. Um, and I, when I make that, it just, it hits every button that I want a meal to hit. 
Um, so that is my, that is my favorite meal right now, but it's not my go-to because okay. it, there's a lot of any kind of stir fry, right? There's a lot involved, of chopping. Yeah. It's yeah. a more involved meal to make. My go-to is any meat that I can throw some herbs from the garden on and then throw into the oven for an hour and a half or two hours yeah. and then have leftovers for three days. Mm. My actual go-to, uh, for example, last night I roasted two chickens just seasoned with, I've got a, a beautiful little vegetable garden. So it was seasoned with whatever I picked from the garden. I don't even remember. It was really good though. I wish I had paid more attention to that. <laughs> and now we'll, we'll eat chicken for the next few nights with different sides, but it just, so I think my go-to is something uh, is whatever I can do that saves me time. So whatever I can do, that's just a, I'll invest a little bit of time now. And then meals are going to be really easy for the next few days. Yes. So my go-to is very low hands-on time, uh, very like low technique recipes that will deliver a lot of leftovers. But my, my favorite is oyster sauce, beef and broccoli. Well, that all sounds delicious. So, well, thank you. Well, do you mind sharing with everybody where they can find you? On oh, please, please come check out the Nutrivore website, Nutrivore.com. Um, from there, check out the join uh, option in the top menu and you can link to my social medias. I'm pretty much everywhere you would expect me to be. Um, so I'm all over the place. Uh, that's where you can find out more about my Patreon. Um, and then if you want to go take advantage of the free salad challenge resources, um, you can find that under the practice menu in the top, um, the top menu bar, but check around the site. It's many, many layers deep. There's, um, I don't know how we measure information. There's mega loads of information there. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a website that you can definitely get lost in for hours and just find yourself down these little rabbit holes. And we're adding new content to it almost every single day. So if something that you think should be there is not there now, um, just, uh, just wait, it'll be there very soon. Yes. And I will add, um, they, she is very interactive. And so if you ask questions or want to know more information, mm -hmm. you know, please, Please interact with her because she she actually responds or her team as well. They're a great, she's a great team. Yes. I um, let's let it is it is sometimes me. It's more often my amazing team. Um, so let's make sure my team gets uh gets all the credit because I could not do all the things that I do without them. They are phenomenal. And um speaking of reducing stress, they are often what holds me together too. So shout out to my my amazing team. Yes, they are awesome, but you are and again, I can't thank you enough for being here today and I appreciate you so much and sharing oh, your knowledge. Thank you. And um, just until next time, I know I'll be in touch with you. So but thank you. Yeah, please. All right. All right. Thanks. This week's quick and easy recipe is my four ingredient Greek side salad that I created based on participating in Dr. Sarah's Nutrivore Salad a Day Challenge, which you can participate in yourself by signing up at Nutrivore.com. The ingredients you will need are half a head of romaine lettuce, a mini cucumber or half of a cucumber, one Campari tomato diced, five Kalamata olives, and then for my dressing, I just used, I sprinkled a half a teaspoon of oregano over the vegetables, and then I just drizzled approximately half a tablespoon of red wine vinegar and a tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil over all of that and mixed it together. The greens in the salad are 
filled with insoluble fiber, which are great for your digestion and to help keep your blood sugar balanced. All of these vegetables have great micronutrients and are known for their anti-cancer benefits. Tomato, of course, is filled with the lycopene and the healthy fats in the Kalamata olives and extra virgin olive oil help our hearts, are very heart healthy. And the fats in the olives and extra virgin olive oil help our bodies absorb all the wonderful nutrients that are found in the vegetables. So please encourage you go check out Nutrivore.com, check out Dr. Sarah. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you back here next week. I wish you, until then, great health and calm. Thanks for listening.